Hi there and welcome to our Support and Parenting Carers podcast. This podcast is all about providing advice and support to parents and carers of children and young people with special educational needs and I really do hope our listeners find the information provided useful. My name is Claire Boyle and I'm the events manager for Witherslack Group and I'll be hosting today's session which will focus on something that can be tricky at times and that's working positively with your child's school. And so I'm delighted to welcome our expert speakers today. We have Janine Drew, Senior Local Authority Partnership Manager for Witherslack Group and Mike Hussey, Director of School Services for the ADHD Foundation. So welcome to the podcast, Janine and Mike. I know I've given a little bit of an introduction there, but before we continue on with our questions, would you guys like to say a little bit about yourself and tell us about your work? Janine, you can go first. Thanks, Claire. Um, My name's Janine Drew. I've been with the Witherslack Group for almost six years now. Um, My role is um, a senior local authority partnership manager. So I work very closely with the local authorities at the point of referrals uh, into our schools. Um, But if I just take a step back from that, uh, I work quite closely with parents who are making inquiries about our school and sometimes looking for information to be signposted and so yes there's a good mix of working with local authorities and with parents. Okay over to you Mike. Thank you very much Uh, it's always great to be on on the podcasts as well Um, and so my role really I've been with the ADHD Foundation for just coming up to a year now Um, and so as part of my role with Director of School Services is working with schools to help with training Um, I deliver some therapeutic and educational coaching within schools and a lot of that can be with pupils with staff but with parents as well so it's a really good mixture there and before I joined the foundation I I was in uh, middle leadership in schools as as a teacher for uh, nearly 10 years Um, and I think one of the big key things which is why I think this particular podcast is so important of working yeah. effectively with parent carers and with schools was that although I was an academic head of departments and academic progress was how you measured, um, it was always for me that that was the byproduct pro- product of working properly to understand the child that you were working mm-hmm. with, the pupil yeah. themselves. And so it was had to be effective of pastoral, emotional, as well as academic. And the parents were a, were a massive key part of that too. So, so I'm really looking forward to this session yeah. today. I think it'll be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Um, so we'll, we'll move on to our questions now. Um, so to start with, um, what would you guys say are the building blocks for developing good relationships with your child's school and working positively together? So who'd like So for me I always think patience. <laughs> yeah. Um it's yeah. it's it's so easy to say, I think, with patience and, and I'm sure Janine you'll probably agree with this. It's it's so easy to say, but actually it's quite it is quite difficult to do because there's so much passion involved. Um it's yeah. passion involved from, from parents and carers because obviously it's your child and you want yeah. the best for them. But I think the good building block there is understand that so do the school, as much as it mm-hmm. might seem like a difficulty, schools are trying to do their best uh, for the pupils too. And understanding that with a bit of patience to work together um, and trying to take some of that emotion out, I think is always one of the fundamentals for me. I don't know what your experience has been like, Janine, though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, patience is is one key element, isn't it? I always think um, trust is a massive yes. thing yeah. and yeah. Uh, that doesn't come straight away you know mm. in anything in yeah, life does it you know so it, yeah. um but it is i think really really important is that parents need to have sort of an element of trust in the school that the school as you say want to do right by the child 
um, yeah. and maybe you know um, been in similar situations before um, and you know and, and and it's vice versa as well isn't it you know a level of trust from the schools in the parents you know understanding that parents might have had a tricky journey before they've even got to that point yeah. you know um, and I think you know trust again is another is another key sort of building block um, so Absolutely. I think if you can if you can um, aspire to you know have that kind of level of mutual trust um, that goes a long way definitely yeah I think trust for me has always got built up through uh, through honesty and openness as well. You know, a lot of times when I've worked with parents, it's been, oh, we don't see this at home. And you kind of but yeah. you talk to the pupil and think, but do you, do you not really see it at home? Yeah, or yeah. is that just a, a, you know, a bit of a defensive mechanism? And, and it's that realised that there's, there's, the more we try and put those barriers up, the harder it's going to be yeah. because it is wanting to help support that pupil. But if we don't know the whole truth as much as possible, that becomes a lot more difficult. And, you know, parents have got an incredibly hard job anyway, but let alone after, you know, a pandemic that we've just gone through yeah. of really having to step up in different ways of being a parent and um, home, you know, supporting schooling from home um, and trying to step up in those different ways, looking after mental health and well being particularly some of our more vulnerable pupils as yeah. well um schools as on that i've had to do that too uh, and work a lot differently so i think now more than ever it's a real understanding that there's honesty that's needed and uh, collaboration in order to support pupils as best as we can but i think that really gives us a lot of hope after this year um, because yeah. we've had to do things so differently and so unique um, i think it's a really good way forward it? understanding as well yeah yeah um and i think it's it's quite hopeful for the future if we can really grasp onto this opportunity now for how we support yeah. pupils yeah yeah there seems to be because of what we've gone through over the last 15 months I think it has in some ways created opportunities for us to move forward, hasn't it? You know, and maybe do mm -hmm. things a little bit differently to how we've done them in the past. Um, because that what the last 15 months has taught us is that things have changed on, you know, sometimes it felt, it felt like a daily basis, you know, but yeah. yeah, chopping and changing, you know, and parents and families and young people and schools just having to adapt, um, yeah. you know, to that very quickly. So, you know, I think um, I think everyone deserves a pat on the back for kind of getting through these last fifteen months. Yeah. Yeah. But also, <laughs> like you said, a bit of hope, a bit of hope in yeah. in knowing that actually, you know, what we've done in the last fifteen months as as mums and dads, and, you know, carers as, as young people yeah. and as a schools, um, you know, it should really give us some confidence moving forward. Really, whereas I think sometimes you can feel like it's maybe knocked the stuffing out of you a little bit. But actually, yeah. you know, t on the positive side, I think there is. I think there's when you a, look at what's been achieved by yeah. parents keeping things going yeah. at home and everything like that in terms of education, yeah, it's yeah, been absolutely a massive effort, but but yeah, but a wonderful thing, yeah, definitely. And I think you know, Mike, you touched on the whole honesty thing. You know, that's one of the things that we in within our schools do say to parents: look, we want to know what's going on, what's and all. You know, don't yeah. be yeah. scared to share things with us that are maybe happening at home or you know, happening or have happened in previous schools because it's only when we've got the full picture, you know, that we can address um, the needs really. So, you know, we we, we don't mind uh, the warts and all, you know, if anything, yeah. that's, that's 
the best a good, That's the key good bit starting to getting point. the best plan in place, isn't it? Really, and quite eye opening, I think, too, for you know, actually for some of that honesty of realizing, oh, people don't have some of those things that we thought they did, you know, and uh, what others may consider as so simple, you know, like laptops or access to the internet. Um, yeah freely available you know we parents with multiple children will have to decide who had the laptop at one yeah. time yeah in order to do the schoolwork it wasn't and so I think for schools it was quite a big eye-opener of what's actually out there and what's needed to really support pupils but families mm-hmm. as a whole and yeah. you know schools opening their doors for food banks and things like that as as a way of being able to support what we originally just took for granted in a lot of areas um, and that honesty I think has started to come back of what's capable for us to do that we didn't realize we could before but for parents to hopefully have to work a lot closer with schools to say actually my child is struggling at the moment or this really works well because I can see it in them because I'm working from home with them and I can see what they're struggling with but I see what they can really fly with as well um because it's different. I always think it's quite a strange concept, isn't it? You drop your child off in the morning for school in some sort of way, and then six hours later they come home, and yeah. you may get a thread of what's gone on in the day. Oh, it's, it's so tricky getting the information out of them yeah. themselves. Like, what have you been doing today? <laughs> and and I, I notice because I mean I don't have children, but I, I do have a lot of responsibility for my nephews, and you know I have to ask them what they've done. Oh, it was all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So this this our conversation going about school then? Okay. Um, That's the thing, isn't it? When now, when you you know, my when my my niece, sorry, would be round at my uh, my granddad's doing a lot of uh, looking after there, and he joined the Zoom calls, and it was like having a TA in the room for him. He was retired, so it was fine. But even he was like, oh my days this is so hard how is yeah. my 10 year old niece doing these things yeah when my 60 yeah. year old dad you know uh, is really struggling I know we've all got so much more appreciation for those things now yeah I think. yeah it's amazing um okay so let's go on to our next question now so for for parents who may have had negative experiences in the past with schools you know some might feel really anxious when it comes to approaching um teachers and schools in general with with any queries or issues um so do you have any advice for parents or carers in that situation and what are the working with parents what are the main anxieties that you see or what do they talk to you about um yeah so i mean it's it's really hard i think isn't it for parents and carers who have got children with with additional needs um quite often they're following a different pathway aren't they you know they're going through and quite often they have had negative experiences in in the past you know regardless of the the age of the child you know you could have a primary age pupil that's had you know multiple fixed term exclusions or um you know um difficulties in school with challenging behaviors or whatever it is that's uh, related to that child i think um what mike sort of touched on one is one of the things that we see quite a lot is that thing where parents see a different child at home than what they see in than what schools see um, so, for example, you know, parents will have conversations with school to say this is, you know, as soon as I pick them up, they explode, that they're in crisis. You yeah. know, by the time we get home, schools might be saying, well, actually, we don't see that. Um, and they might not see that. So we're not saying that schools are by, you know, any stretch of the imagination lying about it, you know. But yeah. I think there needs to be an appreciation and an acknowledgement sometimes from the schools that although they're not seeing that, that actually it, it, it does happen. And quite often when that is happening, it's because there is an unmet need within school. Yeah. Um, young people are bottling up their emotions and their feelings. And they're, I 
actually, you know, kind of suppressing all those anxieties that they're having during the day just to get through the school day. So it's yeah. it's to be expected sometimes that when mum or dad picks them up, they'll either, ex- you know, explode in the car and that's a difficult journey home or they'll wait till they get home. So parents really are kind of um, seeing a, dif- a different child. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the things that we see quite a bit. So I think it does go a long way when schools can kind of acknowledge that that happens and yeah. kind of look at, you know, what they what they can maybe do during the day that might help those um, uh, behaviours uh, be minimised, you know, for the parents mm-hmm. when they're picking them up. That's that's a big one that we see quite a, quite a bit of. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's... it's... It's fine to acknowledge those feelings of where they come from, you know, of that apprehension of going to school. A lot of parents that we've worked with in the past, it was from their childhood experiences themselves, yeah. the negative with school that sort of get, you know, it's like a cyclical effect. It gets passed down uh, onto onto their children, maybe. Sometimes it can be, you know, from embar- almost embarrassment, isn't it, of my child again? You know, no one no one ever seems to have their children come and, and yeah. have to be spoken to. But actually realising that you're not actually alone. Um, and that doesn't always sound comforting, but there is an undertone there of it isn't a personal attack on you. Um, but, and again, I, I, I think with this, schools do have a responsibility of how they approach that initial contact as well of, you know, you know, it, it can be at the end of a long day or it is the 50th time you've had to do this with this pupil, maybe. It can be quite frustrating to think, right, I've got to ring home again and actually we need to see you again. But taking that step back and thinking, what's going on on the other side here? You know, just like you said before, a lot of the time we do see masking within school suppression at home or you know, that um, sorry, masking in school and then explosion at home. Or what we can see is home, they are fine, but school is where they're letting it out. And there's, you know, it's trying to understand, I've always said this and always believed it too, around, you know, behaviours are forms of communication. So it's trying to then work out with the people what it is that's being communicated. Yeah, trying to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of, you know, one of the schools that I work with at the moment um, is doing a really fantastic, I think, a really unique but fantastic way of working. So they have this what they'd call a ready to learn room which in any other school it's, it's kind of like an isolation room you know it's when mm-hmm. pupils are not are, are not quite engaging within the lesson they go to for a period of time now what they've decided to do is as part of my work with them we've got access to a cognitive profiler so we yeah. we use do it but there's loads you know there is loads of other ones out there um now for, for what they've decided to do is for the say they've been in this room six times rather than just doing exclusions, detentions, which, you know, will happen to keep some boundaries as well or work with parents. What they'll also do is do a cognitive profiler on that pupil to then start to see, are there any underlying reasons that we're not aware of as to why they may not be accessing their education? So it's not a diagnostic tool, but what it can do is see, are there traits of potential neurodiversities such as ADHD or autism or dyslexia, dyscalculia? Are there traits of, um, you know, cognitive function and executive function and difficulties around task initiation or work in memory. And I, th- for me personally, I find that a really proactive way of yeah. trying to support the pupil. It's not about saying, here's a load of things that's wrong with you. And this is the excuse. It's saying, okay, so what can we do now as a school, having seen this cognitive profiler to stop this from continually happening? Yeah. 
And I think that's a powerful tool to work with parents on as well of saying, listen, we, we're doing our best here. We've, we've done this. This is what we're seeing. Do you see any of these things at home rather than this call in of, will you sort your child out kind of, you know, situation, yeah. uh, which just doesn't help anyone. It gets everyone's backs up, doesn't it? Um, and at the end of the day, there's a poor young ch- ch- child there who is still not accessing their education and we're no closer to finding out why. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. But I think for, for that working with parents, it is about parents taking that bit of a step back, acknowledging when there's apprehension, but also saying, unfortunately, you know, well, as hard as it might be, this is the best way forward. Yeah. We've got to work together on this. It's a partnership. Yeah. 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 I think okay. as well, nowadays, there's a um, lot of different ways of, kind of communicating with schools isn't it yes. so I think it's mm. it's quite good I think to kind of establish early on as a parent how you know how how to how best to speak to school you know is it a phone mm. call to speak to the school office who will then pass a message on and you trust that they will pass the message on or is there an app that's being used some yeah, yeah, just use an app yeah. to say contact me any time of the day doesn't matter if it's the evening do it through the app or direct email things like that so I think that can help with parents' anxieties because I think initially, like you say, it's that thing of, oh God, you know, like they're having to contact the school again, to, you know, something else has happened, you know, but it's just about kind of knowing it can take some of the parents' anxieties away, knowing who's the best person to speak to and how best to do it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, really it's going to be different. For early year setting, primary yeah. school setting, secondary school settings, colleges, universities, even, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a very different way of working and communicating with that educational setting. Um, and also it's difficult because of a teaching side, when you think with primary schools and early years, you know, you've you've got that sort of consistency of the similar teacher yeah. or teacher system mm-hmm. throughout the day. Secondary school, it's I always think it's harder to pick up because you are only having them for an hour every so often, yeah, you know, and then they move around. Um, so it yeah. takes longer to really get to understand that child unless you are working with parents and other settings to get that picture in a, in a lot closer time frame. OK, that's great. OK, so we'll go on to our, our next question now. So, um, <clears throat> you know, and we've talked about it already, really. So when we look at this topic, it is certainly a two way relationship um, and it's important for you know, parents to be able to understand what they can and should expect from their child's school, but also, you know, try and see the school's perspective, which we've sort of um, talked about already a little bit, but it can be really difficult, can't it? So have you got any further strategies on how to manage and approach this? I think to, um, you know, schools... I'm a bit of a defender of schools, obviously, haven't been in it for nearly a decade as well Mm -hmm. and seen that side. But it it is a really difficult job because you have got so and I know people go into it with passion and willingness, don't get me wrong. But it's there's so many external pressures that sometimes it generally feels like you can't do right for doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I always think really try and understand the policies, but also to understand that they are a whole school approach of essentially trying to do a one size fits all and we know that that never works but that's what schools almost have to do as well Mm -hmm. um for for it to fit so when you think of things like homework policies behavior policies they are going through a one size fits all approach and and staff have it difficulty because some if they don't follow it they'll they can get pulled up and and almost pulled in over it you know and and it's almost done with the best intentions in a lot of cases 
But if they do follow it, they can also get pulled up and pulled in yeah. over it. Yeah. And and it's and it's a really fine balancing act and it is very difficult. Um so I think for some of those strategies, I think for parents to really take them on board, understand them. But then that's where the support from a parental side comes in and saying, right, but how can we work together to help my child fit within this as well? Um, you know, and understand that because I, I mean, I've had parents when it comes to homework policies, you know, who have who have moaned about there being too little homework. And as a teacher, you think, God, oh, I'm. And then you've got other parents who say, it's far too much. Yeah. It's one of those. You're like, what (laughs) what do I do? Um, You know, so you do try and work with it as a guideline in in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases. And as I say, teachers are ultimately trying to do their best for their people. But it's it's unfortunate. It's it's a society in which we live in, isn't it, where there's a lot of expectation put on to teachers that is kind of away from their actual basic fundamental role of teaching a curriculum yeah. uh, mm-hmm. with which is the fundamental side of it um and it's unfortunate that those pressures of teaching now to an exam or to a qualification because that's very heavily pressured as well yeah. for their pay rises for their reputation of the school for their reputation of staff members if they want to go up in careers and steps as well so we, they, they fundamentally they always have the pupil at the heart of things but there are a lot of pressures i think for parents to understand that as well is quite a crucial thing yeah. yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, no, I'm, I I agree with what Mike's saying and because I was thinking about how obviously having that two-way relationship, there is like, has to be a level of sort of mutual respect and understanding. Yeah, it comes and, back yeah. to that trust and yeah. honesty and everything we were talking about at the start. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, and, and there is that acknowledgement that, you know, parents know their children better than anyone, you know, yeah. Um so as a school, it's about appreciating that and working with parents to kind of, you know, kind of harness all that, you know, wealth Knowledge. of information yeah. that parents have about their child. Um, I think it's useful for parents to understand that, you know, on the back of what Mike's just said about all the things that are going on with the schools is that, you know, schools are not always going to get it right. You know, we're, mm. we're human, yeah. you know, teaching staff and TAs, you know, um maybe following procedures and, and what have you and sometimes they it's that one fit for all doesn't doesn't yeah. work with some children mm-hmm. and, and and they will get it wrong sometimes and sometimes it's maybe about not kind of pounding the the, the school for doing that but about there being um uh, that opportunity for school to say okay we tried this it didn't quite go yeah. as how we planned so you know we, we yeah. you know we, we knew what was happening before wasn't working so let we, we, we've tried this um new method or you know a new approach mm-hmm. and actually that hasn't worked but it's just about right okay so we'll you know we'll stop that we'll look at doing something else and it's about yeah and i know parents can maybe get frustrated at that but it's just about kind of having that sort of mutual understanding that everyone's trying to their best trying their for, best that particular child yeah. that maybe doesn't fit into that box type type mm-hmm. of thing yeah i don't get me wrong you know we're talking about honesty and openness there are some horror stories because of way staff have been as well towards pupils or towards parents as well you will you know i I like to think that they are in the minority of cases but it does happen you know i've pulled up i've had to pull up my staff in times where they they just wasn't really in my eyes 
the level of professionalism that I wanted within yeah. my team, you know, mm-hmm. and I've had to do that too. And again, it's about that honest conversation of this is my expectations. Um, yeah. and, and so it does happen. And, you know, we've also had it with, you know, stories. I remember speaking with uh, a lady who was a QC and she was looking for a place for her, for her son to go into mm-hmm. um, with, with his additional needs and neurodiversities as well. And, you know, she went to a school and, and the automatic response of the school was, that, oh, and all of our pupils are taught in low ability classes with you know more you know smaller classrooms as well and naturally her first response was what makes you think he's low he's got a low IQ yeah. you yeah. know and, and so I think what you said there Janine is the opportunity I think is that key thing for me of yes we are not going to, as professionals as educational professionals we cannot get it right all the time in terms of training, you know, special educational needs, neurodiversities is the probably one of the tiniest parts of teacher training. Um, yeah. And yet one of the fundamentals, in my opinion, that should be a lot bigger. Um, and I think there's this expectation that people have been doing it for longer and will just pass on that knowledge. But it doesn't actually always happen. Yeah, it doesn't always um, happen. And so we are likely to get it wrong, but take it as an opportunity to educate educators um, yeah. rather than a, a way of being able you know challenge to educate I always say rather than challenge to sanction and to have a go because if you just come up it doesn't get anywhere does it frustrations get let out but no progress is ever actually made okay right then okay so we'll go on to um our our next our next question now so um so when children and young people and their parents are going through the diagnosis stage or the uh, EHCP process they are quite often embarking on a on a journey and well a new journey with very limited information um and so how can schools help support them through the these processes do you know what I'm, I can speak from personal experience with this one and it's it's all happened during the time that I was at with slack so from an outsider an outsider might think oh well you're you're in a really good position there, which don't get me wrong, I was, you know, surrounded by professionals and doing the job that mm. I do. But I still found myself <laughs> in situations going, what yeah. do I do next? You know, as Absolutely. I'm what, what, you know, I'm not quite sure. And I think, I think that's it, isn't it? So if someone like me and, you know, who, who works in this industry um, can have those feelings, then, yeah. you know, that's applicable to any, any parent or carer out there. And it always makes me laugh because, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant the first time round and, you know, you have that, oh, you know, they don't come with a manual, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and it's so true, isn't it? You know, so it's, it's a learning curve for all parents. You then throw additional needs or special education needs into the mix. It's a whole other whole other world. And I think the, 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 the difficulty is, is that sometimes as a parent, when you're going through that journey, um, you where you might normally turn to your sister or your brother or your mum or your dad or your neighbour or your best friend yeah. who's, who's had, ba- you know, children before to get advice yeah. on, I don't know, whatever, winding, you know, whatever, sleep patterns, things like that. Yeah. All of a sudden you feel really isolated because yeah. you know, yeah. your child's not not doing what you're, you expected them to do through those yeah those years so straight away it can feel really isolated and I think this is probably where you do look to your school as uh, the professionals who have kind of been there seen it before Um, Mm -hmm. and I think this is probably where the Senko really comes into play you know every school has a Senko it's you know a starting point um, 
I mean, I think the Senko role can be quite isolating as well sometimes because you tend to (laughs) only have one in a school, don't you? But I think for parents and carers, that really is a good starting point um, to try and sort of get some support and information. And, you know, Senkos can, you know, a lot of the time help parents on on that journey, depending on where they're at, whether it's applying for an EHCP or just identifying that the child needs yeah. you know needs a diagnosis or has these particular difficulties um and the senko and i know they can vary from school to school but they can be really useful in terms of sort of signposting parents you know Absolutely, um, yeah. so maybe offering support of what can be happening in school but then also at the same time saying you know maybe start with a gp appointment or you know because sometimes parents are thinking i just don't know where to start in all this where stuff. To go, where, yeah where's the start just, yeah so this? sometimes yeah. it's that or you know, um, if they're looking for an EHCP, help with a needs assessment application and signpost them to services like CAMS or signpost them to their local authority um, special education needs team or SENDIAS. You know, there's a local yeah. SENDIAS in every area of the country, you know, and sometimes if the SENCO feels, well, I maybe don't know enough information to pass on then at least pass on the the, the information, uh, the contact details for the local Sendias team, you know. Yeah. So I think Senkos are really... That's all really, yeah. Really I think absolutely with the signpost, isn't it, yeah. is, is always useful. Because you know, you're right, but any, in any walk of life, you get some that are good and some that aren't as good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, it's, it's, it's again, it's kind of accepting that, isn't it, and realising, well, but that's the person that you are working with, and so therefore it's trying to make the best use of that. But getting yourself well-armed to, uh, with the knowledge uh, yeah. processing, <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, it is difficult, you know, and, and you were talking about it being a, a journey, Claire, and I think for some people it's more like a horror story, isn't it? Yeah, when yeah. When it starts yeah, out yeah. looking what yeah. average waiting lists and, and diagnosis times being two years, and uh, worse in some other parts of the country, yeah. five years in adults. And again, linking back to what we said before around per- parents' own experiences, maybe transferring on to what their experience is going to be like for their young children if they've had negative with older siblings, how they're then going through it with younger siblings. Yeah. Um, you know, and I work with a lot of parents who are in that situation as well. So there's every, you know, parent and care forums are always really good. Again, every area, every area has one of those too. But there's, there's real responsibility, I think, and and with the Senko role, I agree with you, Janine. It's quite an isolating role because you typically have one, and you know they usually are a teaching person as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Few schools do have it as a separate role, but very often, in my experience, they've been a teacher. So there's workloads on that. They're mm-hmm. always trying to balance out the the two. But there's a real responsibility for that Senko, but you, you, you do have that role. So regardless of the pressures and your responsibilities for the entire school population to, and everyone wanting an HCP or wanting support, that's the role you have. And there's a responsibility yeah. to understand what is um, passable on for, for parents to support, what there is out there, but also what the up-to-date rules are yourself, you know, and not your own rules that you've made up or heard randomly somewhere on the grapevine. Yeah, get Go and facts. find them out for yourself. Yeah. What's the actual facts? Because it's a difficult enough process in a lot of cases as it is. Let's not make it harder on ourselves yeah. because we're getting wrong information or not bothering to look up. So I always think there's a professional duty. Um, and with parents, you know, you know, it, it is difficult, isn't it? When 
you've not got people who work in that industry. And I've done that as well, same as, as you both, of having this plethora of people around you, but not having a clue yourself of where yeah. to go um, and where to start and been so grateful for that help that's been around me at times. Um, but it's how do you get that out there? And it's it's parents having to take that responsibility too to look at it but come on let's give him a hand here because it's so difficult yeah, so, yeah. so so difficult okay so um when we were talking a lot about the ehcps now so so we'll move on to our next question so how can parents make sure that ehcps are implemented and reviewed regularly um in their school or ensure that they are getting support with any recommendations from schools and clinicians so that they can work together to support the pupils it's um so i was about one of the ground rules being about patience i think that yeah, comes yeah. slightly out the window though when it comes with the hcps and annual reviews that's where maybe patience but with persistence yeah. <laughs> um you know these are absolutely essential aren't they? not only just because they're a legal requirement so let's get the big basic out the way they are a legal requirement aren't they but they are so important for helping to understand how that pu- pupil has progressed too. That's mm-hmm. why there's a review because the same thing that happened a year or two ago might not be working now and it has to be reviewed. And in a lot of cases, that's probably going to be quite true as they've got older too. Um, so again, I think that's, that's where it comes to that persistence of it, but also the professionalism of schools, heavy workloads, really understand yeah. that sign i always do do my best to defend schools in this too but these are things that just have to be in your calendar you know as soon as the hcp goes in a year's time you should be putting it in a calendar mm-hmm. get it ready to go so that it's not oh god where are we up to be prepared because these are legal requirements they literally you know they've set out by law what support is in place for young people in schools to help make them progress as best as possible and as whole individuals this isn't just about academic progress this is about as individuals you know what are they really strength-based approach shining in on to um but it's because also then we need to review that it's so crucial that we get this bit right um and that's parents again need that support of what could they be doing and, and what do they need to know to help because it is yeah. quite a minefield um around dhcps it's difficult enough to get them um mm-hmm. so once you've got it it's so crucial to to really focus in on it i think yeah, definitely. And schools, although they are the ones that kind of coordinate the the dates for the yeah. reviews and things like that, it's like you say, as parents, you know, to have a, a note of when, even if it's not an exact date or, what you know, what month it's yeah. coming up in and maybe just, yeah. you know, sort of six weeks before, you know, you can still play your part as the parent, I think, by um, sort of capturing your child's voice in it all you know that's yeah, kind of crucial with the EHCPs is is kind of having uh, the voice of the child you know represented so yeah. whilst school will obviously coordinate um the, the 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 date and send paperwork out and things like that i think as a parent you can still be prepared for it um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, they, and they might do that in the school anyway. So, you know, you might feel like you're doubling up. But I think it's one of those things that, you know, I'd rather it happen twice than not at all. So as a parent, yeah. I'd be thinking, yeah. asking my child, well, what do you feel about this? And how, you know, how, how do you feel that that's going and kind of getting their um, opinion and point of view in, in, you know, in the home setting when they, they could be you know eating their tea or doing something yeah. like relaxed it yeah. doesn't have to be like formal sitting them down right on this piece of paper where you think you know yeah, yeah. what's going good what's what's not so good yeah. but, um, 
you know, it can be done. It can be done differently. But just getting the views of the young person, I think, are re- is really important and something that parents can do. Yeah, brilliant. And people uh, think that has to be like an older child to get the voice of the child. Actually, our young, you know, early years and primary school are just as capable of giving their opinion uh, yeah. on what they like and don't like. You might not like it. <laughs> you yeah. might not always understand it because it's, it's you know, it's being communicated in a different way. Yeah. But it doesn't mean to say it's not possible to do. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, so <clears throat> moving on. So for parents who feel that their school doesn't understand their child and perhaps have a, a lack of understanding around the difficulties associated with SEN in general, what advice could you give to parents or carers to help the school recognise, you know, the, the triggers in their child and maybe understand their child more and perhaps develop a more positive understanding of, of SEN as well? I think this is a really tricky one, isn't it? I yeah. Think, um mm. You know, it's, and it's hard, isn't it, when a, when a parent feels the school just doesn't get their child. Some schools will yeah. be better at it than others. You know, like you're saying before, yeah. you're always going to get that that sort of disparity across um, schools. You know, I don't think it's unreasonable for parents to, you know, uh, approach it in a in a kind of I say a calm manner. It can be quite frustrating, can't it? So things like mm-hmm. this, but yeah. you know, um, you know, trying speak to the senko or, or or get to speak to the teacher as i said before as a parent you know your child best you know if you are able to kind of go to the schools with some information around you know what their trigger points are if they're identified mm-hmm. that is what their trigger points are you know what kind of can be done to kind of maybe de-escalate a situation before your child goes into crisis um and then if they do go into crisis you know what can a member of staff in order to kind yeah. of support that that child so again it kind of goes back to the whole warts and all things being honest with school about how your child presents you know uh, you might not you might find it really hard to say that they will you know flip furniture smash windows mm-hmm. kick doors but actually we yeah. we as schools need to know that don't we and we need mm-hmm. to know what the triggers are for for young people um going into crisis so yeah, it can be difficult when parents feel that school don't understand them. But again, just going back to what we said before about being honest, having that two-way relationship, you know, communication, communication contact, yeah, yeah, contact the school, let them know what your worries are as a parent and, 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 and for the reasons why. And as I say, the more information you can give schools and, and for schools to kind of take that on board, um, you know, that that's really that's really helpful. I know, I know at, at, with the Slack group we have... Uh, PBS plans for all of our young people, which are yeah. positive behaviour support plans. Um, there's nothing to say that schools, you know, can't replicate something similar, mm. um, you know, in in general, because it's just it's an aid for staff to yeah. kind of recognise uh, the triggers or, you know, if a young person is got their head down or they're stimming or they're flapping or the, if the, what the telltale signs are that you as a teacher mm. or a TA can think to yourself, right, OK, that young person looks like they're heading for yeah. a difficult so time. Them. Yeah. So how yeah. What, what do we do? And it's going to be different for every child, isn't it? You know, so some of children course. will yeah. um respond to humour, you know, others will just won't want any of that, will maybe want to be removed from the, the classroom area mm-hmm. and maybe done in a way that kind of doesn't highlight them as being different. That can be quite yeah. tricky as well, you know. Yeah. Staff wanting to support 
young people, but young people thinking, I don't want to be treated any differently. But at the same time, mm-hmm. actually, I'm sitting here, and I'm ready to go into crisis. So I'm, yeah, it's, it's a real tricky one, isn't it? And understanding, I think, with that is is coming into, I always say with parents around, keeping like a diary, a bit of a record of just, you know, to try and make over any patterns here. A bit like what you were just saying around typical things, they're not our triggers maybe, but also on the op- on the other side, things that can help de-escalate those situations yeah. that seem to have worked. You know, and we, we work a lot with schools to be able to help provide some of those early triggers um warning signs as it were mm-hmm. and the strategies too you know we've had it with um one child in a primary school where when we, we spoke started speaking with him realized he just needed this dark space for it to be feel like he's, he was isolated a little bit more but rather than having to remove him from the classroom what they ended up doing was basically putting this blacked out curtain around his desk so when he started to feel he was a trigger yeah. coming on he could just go under the desk and it, so it's something even as simple as things like that that can really be so effective um and you know low level safeguarding risk then as well rather than having it escalated becoming quite yeah. a significant safeguarding risk to other people and and that's where that understanding thing for secondary and primary comes in of it takes a lot longer for a secondary um school staff member to really understand that pupil i would argue because of the limited time mm-hmm. but also I'm the maximum them capacity that you've got within your classrooms so i think it's really useful for parents to be able to come and just give some of that advice or, or some of those signs and things that they come with and as a school then that's where the response and i you know i do always like to hold schools to accounts as well as support them that's where the school have a real responsibility to take on board that as well and yeah. um, you know i always had staff come up to me saying well he you know does this or she does that but she hasn't got a diagnosis and like so what the diagnosis is helpful because it helps with funding it helps with you know understanding that young person a little bit better but it's also relevant because we know it takes maybe two to five years in some cases. Yeah. What we're waiting for, if the behaviour is this, what's being communicated, how can we help with that communication yeah. to support that child then? Um, and that starts to turn around. A lot of the students that, that I used to work with and then my staff teams would too because it was a fundamental. But unfortunately, you, you, know, you do get staff who have been in the game for a long time or have got different experiences or don't believe this, that or the other. And so therefore they'll do what they'll do because this is their classroom. And that is unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. I think it is few and far between, but it does happen. We have to acknowledge that. So what we're looking at is, can we help support that child for as many lessons as possible? So for those staff who are sticklers to their way, it's slightly less impactful because they're, you mm-hmm. know, they're at different points throughout the when rest of the time. The, yeah. 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 yeah um, and it is difficult. Line. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll go on to our next question now. So, We've talked about this. There might be a bit of crossover here because you know we are, we've talked about a few a number of things today. So relationships between parents and school can get difficult sometimes. So for example, if parents are upset that their child is being continually removed from class, but the school is frustrated that you know the child isn't sort of bending to the school rule, rules, so to speak. Um, and we sort of talked a little bit about this today. But in a situation like this, when it is getting really difficult. What can parents do to try and resolve that that difficulty? Um, so, <laughs> it's as difficult as it is. Emotion 
does play a bit of a vulnerable part yeah. to it, doesn't it? Of, because mm-hmm. of high, and you know, unfortunately, I've had experiences schools that I've worked in where parents are a bit banned from coming on to sites because of the high level of kickoff because mm-hmm. of what's gone on, you know, um, and just just plain rude, but also quite a bit abusive, verbally abusive, right. if not bordering sometimes physical abusive mm-hmm. uh, to members of staff, and you know, regardless of your emotional level, that's always just unacceptable and yeah. and regardless of what's happening that can never be accepted in a in a place of work and a place of support for a young person so the advice that i've sort of gone through at times with there is to try and take a back seat try and see what others may well be seeing if you can or try and bring someone who's a bit neutral in to the conversation with yeah. you you know whether it is maybe a friend or a family member another family member who's not quite as um emotional about it you know, Janine, you were talking before around um, Sendias or Parent Care Forums or you know, just someone else who could maybe come in that provides that little bit of perspective for the parents and yeah. helps them to interpret what's being said. Schools, you know, we can use a lot of language, can't we, that just isn't understandable as easily or doesn't transfer in the same way as same it's way. intended yeah. to. Um, we have it in the, you know, the technical language or there's the one size fits all. We've got our rules and so that mediator, I suppose, is, is quite yeah, a crucial a role way. for yeah. some people mm-hmm. who can just help school to see a little bit of that too, uh, of, you know, okay, but, you know, some of the pupils I've worked with, they're always in this ready-to-learn room because they never have a pen. Right, okay, are we looking at maybe ADHD, um, you know, or task initiation or planning an organisation, executive dysfunction in some way? Mm-hmm. Right, well, they're always never going to have a pen. They're always going to end up in the room. What can we do to help support this? You know, and... I say that school that I work with, I've done a brilliant job of being able to flip that on its head. Of so, what can we do that supports that pupil? Yeah. Um. As, you know, let's always just have a pen for them because is it really the biggest issue in the world if they don't have a pen? No, it's hard, but it's not the biggest issue we could be facing in our day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I haven't really got much to to add to that one because I think you know you've kind of covered everything there, Mike. But I I do agree with the whole you know the the pen thing it can you know it, it happens all it happens all the time doesn't it and it can be yeah. frustrating yeah. and it's like look you know you're 15 you should be able to yeah. do these things now um but I'm sitting here now without my pen because <laughs> I didn't get organized <laughs> this morning um, but yeah it's like you say it's not the biggest you know it, do you really want that to be the focus of how the rest of that child's day is going to go because they haven't yeah. got a pen mm. you know okay, it, it yeah. can sometimes be about you know the school sort of it's tricky isn't it because for some schools and for some mainstream schools at secondary you've got a thousand pupils that you're dealing with so I I get it you know I do get it um but I think um yeah I think it's it it can be frustrating for for parents can't it you know when they feel that the, the school doesn't get their child but like you said before you know it's kind of managing or trying to manage those emotions mm. because you know, it's never acceptable, you know, to be in a situation yeah. on a school site or elsewhere where, you know, your passions are running so high that it is, you know, borderline verbal or physical abuse, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And take that time to reflect, you know, as parents as well. And I say, I, you know, I've always, I'm not a parent, but I do have a lot of responsibility for my nephews. And, and I always use this as a very prime example. So my, one of my nephews, he's just turned nine, he's ADHD. And I know there's times where I've forgotten to give him his medication. And yes, he's nine. Yes, he knows he needs it. Um, 
but actually I'm 32. <laughs> My responsibility is to look after him as well. So if I've not given him his medication, I've got to reflect and go when he is being impulsive, when he is coming across as being rude or really wanting something or not letting something go, I have to take that step back and go, you know, as I say, listen, I'm sorry I've not given you your medication. I'm going to get yeah. it for you now. And this is why this is, but nor is this an excuse for us to just not have this boundary yeah. in place. And I've done this where he stayed over at mine. I forgot to give it in the morning. I've had to rush back and, you know, I've had to go to the school and tell his teachers so that the teacher knows that this is why this yeah. might be happening. So can we give a little bit of leeway? It is my fault mm -hmm. as the person looking after this nine-year-old that he didn't get his medication. And I think there is similar things of reflecting back for parents and carers, isn't there? Of, okay, have we made sure in the morning when they've left school their pencil case is there. Now, yeah. their homework is there. Now, you know, they, it's like the socks in the washing machine scenario, isn't it? They go in as two and they come out as none or one or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and that can exactly happen with homework and thing. It goes in the yeah. bag, it's left the bag, and somewhere between then and ho and school or that lesson, it's disappeared. Peered. And it's absolutely yeah. gone somewhere. So we know that they, those things do happen. But how can we limit as much of those risks as possible by making sure we are there prepared? and that young person too yeah yeah no, with some, some really great re yeah reminders things yeah. like that yeah and 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 accept that respect. You know, again, it's few and far between, isn't it? But I've, I, I, as when I was a form tutor, I I had a, a particularly what seen as a particularly difficult young person, and so I tried. I rang home as thinking, oh, I was quite fresh in my teaching days. I'll ring home, see what support I can offer. You know, and the answer I got back was, you're the third person who's rang me now today. Um, do I really have to be responsible for my child between the hours of eight o'clock and three o'clock? And and it really threw me because in my head the obvious answer was well yes yeah <laughs> of course you are how are you even asking me this as a question um but but so it, it's it, that's where for me that acceptance responsibility comes in it quite appropriately too of saying even as parents yes we are still a, a, we are still a, you know responsible yeah. for our young people even during those hours this isn't a off you go and mm -hmm. everything suddenly yeah. goes with that too. Okay, no, and there's some great, great advice there, um, especially about around the mediator as well. Yeah. You know, that's really practical sort of stuff that people can put in place relatively quickly, I, I guess. Um, okay, so um, this next question, I know, is certainly something that I have sort of felt the, the impact of, really. But since the pandemic, a certain amount of face-to-face -face contact with school and teachers, um, it's been lost, really. And so how can parents and carers try and bridge this gap um, when there are still so many restrictions in place as well? Yeah, there are. And I think, you know, for, for the majority of parents who have children at mainstream schools, this is applicable, isn't it? You know, um, mm -hmm. not being able to kind of, um, well, I don't know about your school, but my my school says don't don't come to the school office. You know, um, there's an yeah, order. You can't, answer, you can't chat in the playground. Can't chat on the playground. Like don't that. chat to other parents. Don't hang around and um, don't approach the, the door where the children are coming out of. You know, there's, we, we have yeah. markers on the playground. Mm. So you're not even kind of getting up close to the teacher to just, you know, to yeah. ask. So it has, it you know, it has been difficult. Um, I think because um, 
uh, with the Slack because uh, a lot of our, if I use an example of like one of our schools, um, children come from a, a, a wide uh, area really. So even before yeah. the pandemic, that was a difficulty for a lot of our parents anyway. Um, because yeah. a lot of the time their children were coming in in transport. So you weren't even yeah. dropping your child off. So you were kind of missing out on all of that. Um, so I know that from our school's point of view, you know, from Witherslack school's point of view, we've been kind of tackling this uh, problem for a long yeah. time, even before the pandemic. So, um, you know, we've we've had sort of um, regular contact with parents, phone calls home, as you say, Mike. We try as well, you know, a lot of the time to make positive phone calls home. And that's, um, I think that's a, a massive thing that schools can... Yeah. Can so underestimated. Honestly, you know, mm. the amount of parents that kind of get to us um, with their child and then they might get a phone call the following week and it's, but it's a, because something positive has happened and they've said, I've never had a positive phone call. Yeah. yeah. It's only ever it's been... so disheartening, isn't it? Mm, it's only ever been to tell me he's done this or she's done that or, you know, it's mm. always been negative. So as soon as that phone goes or the number... You know, kind of. It's like, oh, what's, off. what's it's coming? Like, it's yeah. that fear yeah. and dread, isn't it, for parents? So that's yeah. something we've been doing for a long time, which I think is a re- really good practice. Is look, everything's fine. I'm not ringing you to let you know anything. Yeah. Yeah. He's had a really yeah. good day, and you know, oh, you know, we did this today, and he was, um, you know, he was he was really good with a new member of the the the, the, the class, and you know, so just and any sort of positive feedback is really good. Um, I mean, we we try to kind of mix up the type of uh, media that we use for communication so yeah. i know it's not the same for all schools but we have um uh, regular newsletters that we send home uh, we have things like parent mail that we can email out and uh, we yeah. also involve our parents in surveys so they feel like they're involved in the they're kind of decision making processes yeah. after mm-hmm. school and but i know it is tricky it's um i think i think um as we're, we're getting more used to the world of teams meetings and zoom meetings that's really helpful as well yeah um, i yeah. think i know a lot of our ehcp reviews have been done you know via In teams which yeah you know it's not you know i always think face-to-face communication is always going to be the best isn't it but um it's the next and best yeah, thing and it, yeah. yeah and it depends doesn't it some people might be more comfortable with you know sending a message and and apps and i suppose that's the the one of the great things we were saying before that's come out of a really tricky time is that we have got more opportunity to use other tools now for that communication. Um, but I guess from for me, I, I really miss that sort of face-to-face mm. contact in a way, really. And a lot of it's it's like timed now as well. I know with like parents eating, for examples, yeah. you know, if you've got five minutes and after five minutes, it automatically closes. And yeah. so I think prep is going to be quite key then to prepare for that meeting so that it can, you know, you can keep to your message, you can keep it short, but you can keep it focused to what you need. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, absolutely agree on let's try and get with that positivity, at least to balance it out. Because you're right, a lot of people who are going to be listening to this, you know, they're not coming to a podcast like this because everything's fine and perfect yeah, are they it's yeah. because there are and the chances are therefore there is a lot of negative phone calls coming home mm. and um you know i always remember um one parent's evening and it was a child who i actually quite liked you know a bit of a handful but i actually really like got on well with but you could just see 
his mum going round and round, getting more and more deflated with every staff member. Yeah. And then she came at my desk and you could just see the weight, like the physical appearance of her, there's the weight on her shoulders. And I was actually talking about how I quite liked having him in the class with me and things. And you could just see the, almost the shock, the surprise. And she was like, you're going to be my last one tonight because I'm going to leave on this. Oh, um, and, yeah. and, and what a shame that actually she felt she then had to leave um, because of so many, much, she said, no one has been able to say a positive thing about my child, and and you think if that's going on in that classroom, in my head, I was thinking, no wonder he acts the way he does. Yeah, you know, so yeah, so really, let, let, that is a, a big thing for me, Julian. Absolutely yeah. big. Share, share those positive things. It's Celebrate really the positives. Mm. Yeah. and balance just... it out. It's sorry, go on. Sorry, all I was going to say as well, and I don't know whether this is more of like a, a personal. Things so people can you know take it on board or, or not. I, I, you know, emails I find are quite. There's a time and a place for emails. I think yeah. you know sometimes um, you know it, there's a, things can get lost in an email. Things can yeah, be communicated yeah, translation. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, mm. they, can, they can. They can come across uh, in in a way that maybe a parent hasn't meant it. And so I'm not saying that don't don't use emails because emails have a place, don't they? And I think yeah. sometimes yeah. If, you know, if you do want to, you know, confirm a conversation that you've had and get it down on an email, then yeah. that's great. But I do think that maybe a phone call um, is, you know, is always a good starting point, yeah. which can lead maybe to a Teams meeting or, you know, or to an appointment in the school if if it's a carefully planned, you know, socially mm-hmm. distanced yeah. appointment, depending on the school's uh, policies. But, um, you know, I think sometimes it's... Um, Email can be the, the the first choice of communication, but I don't always think it's the best. You know, especially if you're yeah. dealing with a problem or a difficulty that you're having. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say choose 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 wisely, probably. Um, yeah, but yes. that's, that's just my that's just my. Um, I, I feel like I get more done if I've had a phone call or a, a, a conversation with someone yeah. um, and maybe not focus so much on the emails. But again, you know, every, everyone's different, aren't they? So that, that was just my yeah. kind of personal point of view, really. Okay, so we'll go on to our, our next our next question now. So um, this one's around policies. So, so what can we do when school policies don't support our children and perhaps the child is, is feeling overwhelmed in school because of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we have school policies and procedures for a reason, don't we? But like yeah, we talked yeah, about absolutely. earlier, you know, when you're dealing with um, or, or trying to apply a, a one size fits all, it's never going to work for everyone, is it? Everybody. I think, I think what parents should be aware of, and, you know, and, and many probably are, is the, the Equality Act in 2010, um, which kind of states that schools have got a duty of um, care when it comes to reasonable adjustments for some young people. Mm. And I think that is really, really important that parents are aware um, that we're not talking about huge adjustments that are going to cost the school thousands of pounds. We're talking about reasonable adjustments here that could be the difference between your child getting through the school day or not. You know, so for example, uniform comes up as a as a, a big thing in in one of our schools in particular that the young person can't wear the uniform and if you think of a primary pupil that's maybe progressing to a secondary school they're going from a nice little soft polo t-shirt and all mm-hmm. of a sudden yeah. it's a shirt a tie a blazer 
for some of our young people that have got <laughs> sensory difficulties. That, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Change. It's so- I hated wearing a tie as a teacher, never mind a pupil. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and, and what we're not saying is, we're not saying that, um, oh, you know, you've got to stick to the rules. That That is a very good example, I think, of whereby a school can make a reasonable adjustment for that child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's that conversation of, well, look, this is the school uniform and this is where we'd like you to be. But I think there needs to be an understanding that with a lot of young people with, say, for example, autism and, or sensory processing difficulties, sensory needs, whereby, you know, uniform is an issue, um, it, it, it can change over time. You know, it, it doesn't mean that they'll be forever wearing a polo shirt, you know, or, yeah. or not wearing a tie. Um, but mm. a lot of it is driven by anxiety, isn't it? So they're starting a new yeah. school. Yeah. You've got a lot of anxieties around new people, new staff, moving around the school, which is something that they don't really do so much in primary. So there's a whole host of things that might make that young person anxious. And then on top of it all, you give them this uniform that they feel like it's, you know, ripping them to pieces. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, you know, something that parents need to be aware of, that whole thing that you can make a request for a reasonable adjustment. And that would be a reasonable adjustment saying, look, they're not going to cope with the tie or the black or the shirt. You know, can they just wear a white polo shirt? They won't and it's something stand out that will make such much. a difference, isn't it, to that yeah. child? You know? It could be the difference of getting them in in the morning because, you know, it's that thing as well, isn't it? That, you know, that the school day might start at nine o'clock. But actually the morning, the, the two hours before or the hour and a half yeah. before, can be massively difficult for families, you know, for that young person whose anxieties are around just putting the uniform on. That's before you even get into into the school. So I think, you know, as I say, rules and procedures are there for a reason, but there there are lots of situations where policies won't fit uh, for every family and every child. I think pick your battles in that way then as well. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some policies or rules that you just think, do I really need to defend this to the nth degree or yeah. do I really need to push against this as well to the nth degree? It's it's about, you know, always remembering there's that young person, isn't it? And, and totally, as you've said, those reasonable adjustments, because what's the bigger gain and the bigger win that they're in in their full school uniform but actually kicking off or melting down or shutting yeah. down or anything like that? Um, but well done, they're in the school with their tie or is it the fact that they come in with a polo and actually access their education exactly, um, yeah. and, and reduce those anxieties, you know, and I, I certainly in my mind, I know which one I would rather. Um, and it also comes with, you know, that there is quite a lot of power in this with parents too. And that, you know, as, as basically as new teachers, you're kind of setting your homeworks every week, for example, because that's the policy. And if you don't do it, you're worried that you'll get it. But parents have that power to set, you know, it is a bit overwhelming. And so, therefore, I, you know, I'm telling the school now that I'm not going to make my child do all of these homeworks because it is, you know, cognitively it is too overwhelming. It's too yeah. much of an overload. So we're going to need – but what can we do? You know, let's not just – you can come in, can't you? But what well, my child's not doing that, so screw you, kind of thing. Or it's a, so. What can we do about this? Yeah. How can we? How can we work maybe together? Let staff to, away? Yeah, yeah. 
Is is it you know? Are there slightly easier ways in which we can do this? Where there's it's a different worksheet. It's a, you know five questions rather than twenty questions. You know, so we're still doing something. Um, but parents have that have that choice as well. I think they often forget that in a lot of parents I speak to. It's you know I think it was one of the sessions we did actually, Claire. And it was you know can I speak to my school about this? Yeah, yeah of course yeah, I you can. That. Yeah, yeah. This is your household. <laughs> you yeah. you are yeah. bound by your rules in yeah. your household. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you don't want to do that because you want to prioritise other things that might just help reduce some of that anxiety and de-escalate after a difficult day of just getting through the day, as you said, can be yeah. massively difficult for some of our young people too. Yeah. And so um, we were talking a little bit about homework there. So it's a good a good time to move on to our next question. Um, so how can parents in school, it's something that comes up an awful lot as Mike was saying we've had questions mm. at our recent webinars asked about it so how can parents and school work together um with the child to help manage things like the homework tasks and how can parents prevent confrontation here whether it's confrontation with the school and perhaps some confrontation with the child as well I think I think um it, it's always going to be a, a tricky sort of area yeah. isn't it homework and <laughs> um, I think there's kind of the, 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 the there's a couple of ways of looking at it as well. I think for children who've got um, autism or some kind of like social communication difficulties, they can be very rigid in their thinking. So yeah. actually, yeah. it's not that they're being, um, uh, you know, defiant, saying that they're not doing homework, but in their heads, they're thinking, but um, school, that, that's work from school and that should mm-hmm. not be done at home. And we get, home, we, get yeah. that. we see that quite a lot. Um, yeah. And again, it's not because they're just they, that they don't want to comply. It's just in their head. They're, they're so rigid in their thinking that never the mm-hmm. two shall mix. You know, well, why would yeah. I? Why would yeah. I do that way? That's that's work that the school have issued me. I'm. Why would I do it at home? That's not. You know, that's the, it's a very clear divide, and that could be really tricky. And I think I think when that does happen, I think you know, um, yeah, try have to try and maybe come up with some creative ways of of maybe. Yeah young people still being able to i mean i think reading is is a is a massive is it is just so beneficial for mm-hmm. many many subjects you know so um if you can focus a bit more on reading at home so it's not homework it's reading these are your books yeah. then in your bedroom that we're going to sit together and and look at yeah. you know not necessarily a book that the school has sent home from the school library so you know i think that's can be really um important but things like i mean depending on what the young person likes if they like getting involved in cooking or, or baking you yeah. know that's great for things like reading ingredients you know reading the method of how we're going to your maths yeah how many eggs how, how many fluid liters of you know liquid do you need for this particular recipe so i mean cookery is is a great one it kind of ticks a few mm. boxes but um it is tricky and it i suppose it is thinking a, a little bit outside the box really for for some young people um of how you're going to kind of do stuff at home that if, if they're completely refusing to do yeah. to do homework and there's always the elephant in the room, I think, with homework. Of, I don't think anyone actually likes it. Um, you know, teachers, because it's just extra marking. It's extra admin to try and set in when it's not in and detentions. Um, pupils don't like doing it. You know, no, I don't think anyone actually likes homework. But we know that there are positive aspects of homework too. You know, it does uh, help with addressing misunderstandings. It does help with further understanding or wider reading. It really does help with pupils with poor work 
in memories to be able to re you know have um, repetitions or... repetition and, and yeah. bring it back into the work in memory so that it, it can stay a bit longer in the long-term memory too so there are positive aspects too but you know as, as we've talked about there it is around how can we do this the best supports that people um yeah so they're actively doing it and and wanting to do it too maybe it's about setting up the right environments at home you know so uh, we had this a lot during lockdown you know pupils I'm, I'm at home this is not school this is home mm. um, yeah. and so it was you know they sat at the dinner table but they sat in their seat that they would eat in well so that's adding to the the, the compounded really yeah. but this is my dinner seat so you know some of the suggestions that we had were around changing the seat so this was the work seat versus where you eat seats and some of those changes started to help with some pupils not all but some um you know distractions having some rules that are sort of set you know knowing your pupil your your child sorry best is it better for some pupils that they just come in get it done and then they've got the entire evening free just some just need to decompress from the day yeah. get a bit of exercise yeah. in them tablets if you know if they are sort of adhd or anything may be starting to wear off by the end of the day so do we need to just get something completely different then we can start the homework and it works for them routines within that way and and yet you know, always remember with this as well, with, with especially with neurodiversity, there's it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's that sort of unwritten rule, isn't there? Of you could take a third off their age, and that's where they may well be cognitively or emotionally in terms of development. Yeah. So it's matching. The, the work to, towards that potentially as well just because they're 15 doesn't necessarily mean they have to do everything that every 15 year old might do yeah. you, you look at it maybe something slightly younger as low as 10 in some cases mm. let's so let's have that in the back of our minds as to how we support that um poor pair that say that pair, poor person who's probably getting overwhelmed by all of this yeah how do we support them properly okay Okay, great. Thanks. Some great advice there. Some great ideas. Um, Okay, so we've got a couple of questions left now. We'll try and squeeze them all in before we finish. So um, if a child has been excluded from school or in a period of homeschooling, what's the most helpful ways a child could be supported at home and also keep communication with the school as well? I think it's good to have some sort of routine at home. I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not not saying that every child needs to mirror the nine to three day that they would do if they were at school. But I think if there is some sort of routine around, um, you know, what the day is going to look like so that young people, so that's not a surprise to them. That's something that they used to when they get up, they have their breakfast and then maybe it starts with, uh, I think maybe subjects like um literacy maths things like that of a morning that maybe you know if, if that's the best time for your child mm. you know yeah but it's also about recognizing that mornings might not be the best time that might not be the best time you know they might come alive after lunch you know so that an yeah. afternoon might be better for, for yeah. things like that um so that's that's important isn't it and um I think I think visuals can help with a lot of young people, you know, to have absolutely kind of um, visuals around the place. And like Mike said, you know, are you doing the homeschooling at the table where you eat at? You know, is that going to be a, a tricky mm-hmm. point because this yeah. is where, you know, this is where I sit down and eat. You know, have you not? Not everyone's got the luxury, have they, of having a spare room? You know, that's that's the no, trouble, isn't it? You know. Uh, mm-hmm. Same in our house, you know, if I'm working from home, I don't have a, an office or anything like that. I sit at the, sit at the dining room Kitchen table, t- yeah, me you too. know, so it's, um, maybe it is about changing it round. Yeah, you're sitting at the dining room table, but like Mike said, you're sitting in a different seat. So yeah. it puts a different yeah. perspective on it. 
I think if you keep the the the, the, the teaching um, sort of short, you know, at half an hour, you know, yeah. regular movement breaks, you know, keep things sort of short, uh, sharp and sweet. I think really, um, um, because you just don't. It's really difficult. You don't want to be getting in situations where they're lolling over the table you know yeah don't want to do it I've been sitting here too long we all know how that feels get up have a walk have a movement break you know things Mm. like that um it's tricky it's a tricky one because it'll it'll work it'll work some ways for some families and and it's going to be different yeah 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 I think uh, I I agree it is going to be different for different pupils and it's gonna. It is a. It's a punishment, isn't it? In one sense, because obviously they can't go out and see their friends in school and, and socialise. I often think sometimes there's a big opportunity within this, though, as well, of being able to actually really showcase how your child learns best. Yeah. And and you know, so I think definitely keep contact with staff. You know, know who it is. Maybe set upon you know some agreed dates or times. So when updates are going to be given and things like that. And um, with with the young person, it's setting out those responsibilities and those actions as well. But there is that opportunity to be a little bit um, different. Mm. You know, they're not they're in school because a need isn't being met. Let's face it. You know, regardless of what's happened, needs aren't being met within sitting behind a desk for an entire yeah. day learning those particular topics and things in that style too. Um, and we know that we that the vast majority of pupils who are excluded tend to be neurodiverse. Autism potentially can't live within those rigid rules that the school system has set that doesn't match with what their understanding or reasons for why is ADHD get bored get distracted start making up their own fun because that's the way their brains are wired to do to keep their attention arousal so that needs aren't being met for one reason or another so at home we have that opportunity for shorter breaks to showcase that actually they do work to help improve Mm -hmm. um, focus movement actually does help because we've been doing this all day being able to not just have to sit in a desk behind a desk all day but lie down on the couch or go up and sit on this or sit across the couch because that movement or that different way standing up you know has has been a big thing for them being able to teach it differently you know through rhyme or creative ways maybe that isn't just let's do question answer question answer (laughs) let's look it up with some visuals online let's get a bit of a ted talk you know different ways that can actually really spruce up that education Mm. a little thing i would always say is potentially look at doing a cognitive profiler um you can get them quite cheaply out there to be fair quick ones just more, not as an excuse of, well, look, this is what was wrong with my child because I hate that. Mm. Um, there's nothing wrong, but these were the needs that may not yeah. have been being met within mm-hmm. school and looking at it from that perspective. It's being strength-based and proactive then. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I also think I'm probably right in saying that most young people, even our primary littlings, love IT. <laughs> so, you know, mm. you yes. can incorporate... Yeah some of that you know so it's okay this this is maybe the subject that we're talking about at the moment and we're looking at let's just get the ipad ready mm-hmm. you know you yeah. google what you think is going to be they the answer that responsibility or, don't they of just having they, the, yeah, the ipad exactly. in there you know, and it's, thing. It, definitely and it's not you <laughs> yeah. then as a parent saying right we're not we're not we're not looking at you know put the ipad away you know you've been playing on that this morning put that away because now we're doing our work you're separating the two when actually yeah you know, we all know that it is, is a crucial um part of everyday life now and it's not just for games yeah. is it so it's about saying okay get the ipad in front of you let's have a little look up 
you know, the questions or whatever it is we're looking at. And you yeah. can, you know, Google, not the answers, but, you know, if we're doing a bit of research, you research? Know, why do you think this yeah. is happening like this? Or, well, let's have a little look at, you know, what does, mm-hmm. um, what, or what does Alexa say? That's that's the big thing in our house yeah. at the moment. What does, what does Alexa think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got and like and a... she said, yeah. Sorry, Claire. <laughs> I was going to say, we got like a spellings app for, for our girls and they love, like, they don't yeah. play on it, but if they get the questions right, they get like, um, they get like this little character, sort of they win a character type thing for getting the spellings right. And that has just changed, like, you know, practicing their spellings overnight because they just love winning these little characters type of things. So yeah. I suppose it's just about <laughs> like finding what works for your child, really finding what works for your child and it's almost parents can get a little bit ashamed of saying he's playing or she's playing but actually what's happening is learning they get them rewarded instantly rewarded which is you know neurodiversity very key thing not prolonged reward or in five Mm -hmm. years time kind of thing they get them rewarded for doing their spellings correctly you can do the exact same within you know maths on a lot of apps as well Um, and and computer IT really good for you know dis, you know dyslexic dyspraxic pupils as well um, who hate the handwriting it's really laborious it's yeah. really painful physically painful mm. and again what's the outcome well they're showcasing what they know does it really matter if they've wrote it out by hand and really pin pained by it or typed it out and found it a bit easier yeah and still showcase knowledge yeah. what's the big gain there yeah yeah okay um right then so we'll go on to our we've got final two questions now so we we've talked touched a little bit about sort of morning like routines and that time before (laughs) kids go into school and everything like that um and you know it can be it can be a, a, a tricky old time that getting everyone ready for school so we know that's something that could be affecting a child's behavior and enjoyment of school could be either regarding sleep difficulties or that morning routine. So have you guys got any top tips to help parents and carers get their child in the in a positive place to sort of start their school day? I think this is applicable to lots of parents, this. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and I think it's one that we all aim to do, but we're very often <laughs> fail at. I, I know myself, yeah. you know, I, I say, you know, I, I recognise um, the, the, the times and the occasions when, um, I've been I've got the routine in place and I've been organised. I think they're the two key things: routine and being organised. Yeah, they're key. Um, Absolutely. But, and I and I see when when it works, it works like a dream. And I think, oh, I'm going to do this every all the time now. But, but then life, life gets in the way, over. doesn't it? You know. <laughs> so it's almost about being disciplined with yourself. I think as a, as an mm. adult to make sure that these things happen. So I think you know the night before it, it is important to have that routine. Maybe have a sort of outline timetable if you like in your head of you know how many hours sleep your child is going to need which is going to depend yeah. on their age isn't it you know and I think you know mm-hmm. I, 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 as a parent I've often googled that how, how much sleep should my eight-year-old be getting you know so yeah I think we've all we've all been there and done that but to kind of have an idea of what works best for your child and actually they need nine hours of sleep or whatever it is yeah and kind of work it backwards so you've got a, a firm idea of when they should be in bed for sleep but also, what's the wind down time that, that yeah. is on the run up to that? You know, and um, I know I said in the earlier question about how IT can, you know, it has its uses and it's important. I do think screen time of an evening should be minimised, if not, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. cancelled out maybe an hour before Absolutely. they're going to bed. Yeah. You know, um, so they can have it before that and they know that that's, you know, part of the routine is that, yeah, you can, you know, have a little play or go on the iPad and 
YouTube or whatever it is that you want to do. But actually, once we once we hit 7.30, you know, you're not going to bed straight away, but the iPad goes off and we put it on charge ready for the next yeah. day, you know, and have little things like that. But it is it is it is a tricky one because, you know, as I say, it, it works and it, it, it really does work. And it's about, you know, finding what works for you as a family. But then as, as, as the grown up in the household, you've got to make sure that you yeah. stick to it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Planning, yeah, preparation, responsibility, yeah. <laughs> organisation. And I totally agree with all of those. I think I have to find that um, the, 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 the answer to a good morning start is almost a good evening the night yeah. before yeah. prep. You know, it's in those sort of ways, isn't it? I, she's, there's, you know, there's, and there's lots of support out there. The, the sleep charity is one that I talk about quite a lot or um, put parents on. So they've got some great resources for getting your routine ready for bed. Mm-hmm. And I think all of those things really start to help. Some of the key critical ones, yeah, as you said, you know, phone, iPad, computer use, TV use in some cases, you know, it's really about stopping those earlier. You need to slow the brain down, you know, especially for our neurodiverse pupils. As you go into the bedroom, actually quiet bedrooms don't always help because that's when the thoughts all start racing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, is it acoustic music though? Is it, you know, classical music? The, the white noise, I think, is it they call it the sound of the rainforest and things? Something that gives the brain something to focus on but then not overwhelm them with all of the different thoughts because, you know, it's black, pitch black, silence, little bed lamps sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you can yeah. get a little glow so it's not completely pitch black as well. But that prep beforehand is key. You know your child, isn't it? You know, does exercise before bed actually help or does it hinder because it gets them all wound oh, up? Yeah. Yeah. Walking outside, you know, around the block even, doing some sort of mindfulness. Everyone always just think it's sitting there with the legs crossed going, mm, doesn't it? No, no, it's slowing the brain down. Is there some yeah. sort of just, um, you know, chill out time that we can have, slow the brain down before it gets to bed? You know, uh, some more of the extreme cases, it might need to be looking at medication. I'm, I'm not for or mm-hmm. against meds, but, you know, yeah. it might have to be something that you might want to consider at least as an option. But I think, and then yet, what's happening the next day? If you're someone who's rushing around constantly in the morning, let's stop. Let's reflect on that. Yeah. What can we get ready the night before? Where's our sock drawer? Is our hang is our clothes out on a hanger ready to go? Have we timed our morning routine? Mm-hmm. So do we know how long it takes to wake up? to get a shower, to have breakfast, right? Let's factor that into then, right? So you've got a choice. If you're going to take 15 minutes to do this, you're then going to have to wake up at this time. If you're going to take 10 minutes though, then you can wake up at this time, you know, it's, and given yeah. that choice there, some people with medication in the morning, uh, I've known as well, where they'll do a two alarm system. So they'll wake up slightly earlier, take the med, go back to sleep, um, like a bit of a quick wake up so that the medication's set for when they wake up and go to school. Yeah. Um, I, I've known that happen a, a few times in the past. But also then seek some reward. So I do this with, with both my nephews. You know, I know it's going to take this long. So I might wake them up slightly early and say, right, you've got five minutes spare. You can extend that to 10 minutes to watch something before school. Yeah. <laughs> or you can close that gap so that we're leaving on the zero minutes. Yeah, yeah. In my head, I know I've got a buffer time. 
So yeah. there's always time plenty for them that might take whether it being a bit slow or not. But I always keep that then as that reward as well. So you can yeah. watch something for an extra five minutes or you can watch something um, because you've you've got ready quicker. And it mm-hmm. works and it absolutely works wonders. Sometimes yeah. they're shattered and they don't care at all about the reward <laughs> because they're just too tired to think yeah. properly. Yeah. But sometimes, and it's it's holding on to those good times, isn't it? Wake up positive, keeping ourselves calm because if we're rushing around going, come on, quick, we've got five minutes. Oh, it just you're only going to get their pet Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's no, good. It's really, really good advice there. Yeah, really yeah. good. Um, okay, so our final question now. So any top tips we can finish on? A do's and don'ts list sort of thing for, for working positively with your child's school. I said, do let your child know. Not your child, sorry. Do let your school know <laughs> about your child, um, about your worries and anxieties for your child. You know, yeah. don't suffer in, I suppose that's a do and a don't all in one sentence, mm. isn't it? Don't suffer in silence. You know, do make contact with your school and start those, you know, communications uh, with them. Really key. Let your school and make know. Those, I would say make child. those communication early. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talked earlier about the warts and all, you know, be honest and open with the school and don't worry that you think that what you're telling the school, they'll never have heard before and they're going to, oh my gosh, you know, because chances are they won't think that, you know, they'll have seen Mm. other children that have been coming up through the year groups previously that have have done that. So, you know, I think sometimes as a parent, we think, oh gosh, you know, because what, 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 what we're seeing as a parent has never been seen amongst our family. You know, all the cousins yeah, are yeah, fine. Yeah. They're all neurotypical. They all go to mainstream school. And what I've got is a child that's um, not, you know, behaving yeah. how, how they should. So sometimes it's that feeling of, oh, gosh, how, you know, I can't tell the school that bit, you know, or I can't tell the school yeah, what yeah. they did last night or what they did at the weekend. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, you can. And, and schools, you know, chances are, won't be surprised at the levels of behaviours that you might be sharing with the mm-hmm. schools, yeah. you know, that you're seeing for your child. So be honest if you can. Yeah. Okay. Mike, have you got anything? I definitely think that, be honest, I think uh, with yourself as well as with your school. So it's, you know, almost don't lie to yourself, I suppose, is the opposite, yeah. isn't there? Um, there definitely needs to be that sort of patience, but, you know, there is going to be times when there's persistence that's needed. And I think parents always forget this and it's 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 how you come across, isn't it? Take that step back, reflect on yourself, but also you are um in a position of where you can ask to understand yeah. for clarification, you know, as to why were they in a detention, you know, why um you, you, you can ask the school for the reasons behind their actions, behind their decisions. But I also would say, you know, what's ask for suggestions to help. You know, they show that you're willing to listen and take on board some of those suggestions. And then the last one I would say really is be proactive yourself. So, you know, support and not just proactive with talking to the school, but with what can you do with your child and what can you look up the you know, these typical traits or behaviours that might well be your seeing to try and help and implement them so that you can help work with the school and give them some advice too. Yeah, and do you know the other thing I was thinking that's I, I found really quite useful is you know we talked earlier on about how schools you know should pick up the phone and and make that positive phone call you know tell the parent something positive Mm -hmm. that's happened well again two-way street you know if as a parent you feel that your school has done something 
either over and above or or, or even just implemented something that's really worked for your mm. child. It's really nice, honestly, you know, from a school point of view, when you get a little email that's just a couple of sentences long yeah. to say, yeah. I've seen such a difference in my child. Thank you so much for your support. You know, it, it's just lovely because I think even the school staff need a little pat on the back every now and then. Yeah, yeah. And just get yeah, that, yeah. You know, that little positive. The difference um, they're making. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think by doing that, it, it kind of bodes well for that relationship building, yeah. doesn't it? You know, because, it, you know, the staff feel, because like Mike said earlier on, you know, it, it can be hard for staff when they're up against all these different requirements yeah. and pressures, you know, and, try, yeah, and they have the child, you know, and the child's interests, you know, in, in the centre of everything and, and want to do right by the child, mm. but they get pulled in lots of different directions and sometimes feel that they can't do right for doing wrong. So yeah. it's really lovely, you know, I know from staff that I've worked with when they've had that little email that just says thank you, thank you to the class teacher or thank you to the team yeah. or named an individual. Yeah. It's just, it's really nice. So I think that that can be helpful as well sometimes if you feel as a parent that, that school have done a good job with your child. That's yeah. Nice. Absolutely echo that, absolutely. Such a positive thing to finish mm. on. Thanks, Janine. That was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Um, and, yeah, and that was, the, the, the whole thing was amazing. What a great discussion. Um, and so that's a wrap for today's podcast. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to Janine and Mike for sharing your expertise you. and providing us with such important advice. And also a big thank you to everyone who's joined us and listened to the podcast as well. Um, if you are listening to this, then you're probably already aware of the advice and support resources on the Witherslack Group website. But if not, you know, please do take a look. Um, the, the website is witherslackgroup.co.uk um, forward slash resources. And you can find a whole range of support materials and webinars on there. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and get your info there. Um, we are hoping to do more of these podcasts. So if there is a topic you would like to see us cover, please send in your thoughts or suggestions to webinars at withslackgroup.co.uk. So thanks again to everyone involved um, and for everyone involved in bringing this podcast together. And bye for now.